and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or def- defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. Tonight's message is entitled, Fear for My Life. And it's... uh, possibly a double entendre. I know it has two meanings, uh, one that is clear and one that is a little ironic, but I, here's the way I want you to, to think of fear for my life. The first way I mean that is that there's this fear that is regarding your life, or a fear that is protective of your life. You're protective of your life from death, so there's a fear for my life. For example, if you've ever been scared of losing your life, then that's what I'm talking about. There's a fear for your life. I remember in a car wreck, I've been in several car wrecks, but one was really bad, and I remember the fear, the awareness that I almost died in that moment was a, um, an epiphany for me. It was, it was a life-changing event where it, it changed the way I viewed my life going forward. The second way I mean this, is fear for my life, is, is using fear as a, a motivator, using fear to motivate me to make the most of my life and, and not waste it. So, it's a fear of something that motivates you to action. I don't want to waste my life. I fear that one day I'll wake up and I'll be 80 years old and I will have squandered my life for nothing. And so fear for my life. Sometimes um, as a parent, there's this fear that motivates you to act. I remember a few times when, some, when kids have been hurt severely uh, one of my daughters was bitten by a snake, a poisonous snake, and I was, I hate snakes. I, I'm fearful of them in tremendous ways. Uh, they are evil, and I, 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 just, I, I just have personal issues with snakes in so many ways. But she was standing on the snake, and I ran up with her without an ounce of, of fear of the snake. I, and I picked her up, and I scooped her away, and we ran off. Because my fear for my daughter's life outweighed the fear of the snake. And so sometimes fear is good because it motivates us to make the most of an opportunity instead of paralyzing us to do nothing. You rush in to help. So the question I have for you is, what role does fear play in your life? Probably multiple ways. There are different ways fear can be applied to our lives, but are there unhealthy ways that fear is motivating you? 
Are there unhealthy ways that you have this relationship with fear that's causing you to be paralyzed instead of causing you to rush in to action? Sometimes fear causes us to make bad choices. Fear can cause us to leave a relationship too soon. It can cause us to get into a bad relationship because we're fearful of being alone. Sometimes fear can cause us to have anxiety at work. When the boss wants to see us at 2 p.m. on Friday, that can only mean one thing, he's going to fire me. When he could be wanting to promote you. Sometimes fear is unhealthy. It, it cripples us. Sometimes fear cripples us in our faith. We're afraid of what God may want us to do. So we hit the pause button and just coast. Sometimes we fear that God has forgotten us. So we just take matters in our own hand and do what we want to do because God's forgotten us in our opinion. The scriptures are filled with verses that talk about fear. And I can't cover nearly all of them, so I'm going to focus on a certain aspect of it tonight with your understanding, hopefully, that this is not an exhaustive study on fear and our relationship to it, but one way for us to look at it tonight. I'll share a few scriptures with you that will lead us on the track I would like us to travel on tonight. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 24, you can follow along on the screen with me if you want, because I'm going to bullet several of them here. And uh, verse 24, it says, The Lord commanded us to obey all the decrees and to fear the Lord, our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. So the Lord commanded them to obey all the decrees that they had for them. This is the Old Testament, a long time ago. You can go back to that verse if you could, please. And he's saying... I not only obey, but I want you to fear the Lord. This reverential fear. And there's a purpose for this fear. This fear is going to cause you to prosper. It's going to cause you to be kept alive, as is the case today. Now we'll jump to Psalm 115, verse 13. And it says, And he, this is speaking of God, he will bless those who, what? Fear the Lord. Small and great alike. It doesn't mean like small people and tall people. What it means is those who are of, quote-unquote, significance and those who are insignificant. In our world, we have layers of people where some people would be considered unimportant and some would be uh, important. But in God's view, he says, there is none of that. It matters not to me whether you are in the social scale of important or not. If you're in the in crowd or the out. What God says, the small or the great alike, you will be blessed by him if you are fearing the Lord. Proverbs chapter 28 had a lot of, well not 28, but Proverbs had a lot of verses on fear. This is one I chose. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the one who always trembles before God. This is an aspect of fear. Blessed is the one who always trembles before God, but whoever hardens their heart falls into trouble. So again, God is talking about this holy healthy relationship of fear towards God which causes blessing to come into our lives and the opposite of that would be curses that would be in our life there would be trouble there would be calamity and finally I want to look at the very last book of the Bible 
Revelation chapter 11, verses 16 and following. It says, And the twenty-four elders who were seated on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. So this is a vision of heaven one day, okay? This is a futuristic vision. They fell down and they worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name. And revere there is also meaning fear. Rewarding those who fear, revere your name. And again, we see this both great and small, right? It's the same one we saw in, in Psalms. And so, both great and small, and for those and for destroying those who destroy the earth. And so this is where God's judgment comes in, and he destroys that and those which are destroying the earth. This is when God brings justice to the world. This is what all of us crave for, whether we realize it or not. We want justice. We want things to be the way they should be. This is why we get angry when we see injustice in our world. And God is saying, there is going to be a reward for those who fear my name. There's a healthy relationship that we must have with God when it comes to fear. And Peter, in the letter that we looked at, that we're, we were preaching through in our, our sermon series, Peter is calling us to, and calling you in, in, um, in relation the same way. He's calling you and me to live in this fear of God for the remainder of our lives. From this day forward till death do us part, we are to live in a relationship of this fear towards God. And I want us to talk about that. It's this reverent fear. So look with me. Um, it, you can have in your worship folders, there's some, a worship outline to follow along with. If you don't have that, you can just take notes. We'll have some points in a second. But the first point is not really a point. It's a title of the message. So the title of the message is Fear for My Life. And the first point is Living in reverent fear, which is, leads up to the other three points. You see it on the, just, just follow along, okay? <laughs> living in reverent fear is the first point, but it's not a point. It goes with all three. So we, we need to be living in reverent fear. So First Peter chapter 1, verse 17 is where we'll start. Here we go. He says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's works impartially. Now remember in Psalms and in, um, in Revelation where it said both great and small, there's this impartiality with God that we are the same. And it's the same thing when it comes to uh, when God is judging our body of work. He's not worried about what your resume said or, or what zip code you live in or what, you know, how well you've done at your work. He, he judges impartially. So since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners in reverent fear. Live out your time as foreigners here in this earth in reverent fear. Now, the word fear is translated reverent fear in the NIV translation. And the fear root word uh, is where we get the word phobia from. And so it's a, it's, it's a fearful thing. It's a fear of this, a fear of that. But it also means reverence, but it also means terror. And so it means what we think it means when it comes to fear. It means this reverential fear, this awe, this respect of who God is. It's also this terror, like oh snap type terror, like God is who he says he is, and he's uh, far above who we are. 
It's this also overwhelmed understanding of who God is, that we are overwhelmed by the reality of his presence in our life, that there's this reverential fear of who he is. So it's all of these things, not removing any of them. They come together to us, uh, for us to understand what this fear is. This same uh, scripture was translated in the Message Bible, and uh, it, it surprised me because and and I was thinking, I wonder if he's saying this and that, and according to the translator of the Message Bible, he agrees with this. So here's what he says. He says, you call out to God for help, and he helps. He's a good father that way, which we're just saying that, right? But don't forget, you ready? He's also a responsible father and won't let you get away with sloppy living. Now the message is a little more flowery and it's more of a commentary on the Bible than it is a, a word for word, but he's, he's translating an idea to us that, that God is a good father and he will do this, but you need to understand he's not going to put up with stuff. There's a standard that God wants us to bear. He's saying that you are living as foreigners in this strange land. And the word foreigners here in the NIV is also translated strangers in earlier versions of this. Stranger Things is a show that we're kind of playing off of for our sermon series. And instead of Stranger Things, we're stranger beings. Because Paul, or Peter, um, talks about us as strangers, as foreigners, as aliens that are living here in the now because our home is in heaven ultimately. And so we're here temporarily. We're exiles. And the show on Netflix, Stranger Things, tells of a supernatural activity and aliens from another world somehow getting into our world. There's chaos. There's death. There's unbelievable things that are happening. A mother named Joyce has a son, Will, and he's gone missing. Supernatural events start happening. And there's, on top of him being missing there is an appearance of this strange girl who has psychokinetic abilities and the mother is taking all of this in and she's communicating with her son in ways she can't explain her son is missing but she still sees him in this world this other dimension this what is called eventually the upside down everyone thinks she's crazy you know what she's a little crazy but she's not crazy because she's wrong. She feels like she's going crazy because she knows and she's communicating with her son, but she can't get to him. She's fearful. She doesn't understand what's going on. She desperately wants her son back, but she doesn't care what other people think of her. She knows what's true. She knows she hears his voice, and nothing will stop her in her pursuit to find her son. She uses that fear of losing her son to motivate her to do what she knows people are going to call her crazy for. Now, as Christians, you will be misunderstood. People are going to think you're crazy. They're going to call you names. They're going to misunderstand your faith. They won't understand why do you pray. They won't understand why do you worship. They won't understand why you don't behave in the same ways they do. And the reason you are called to that is because you, as a Christian, are a stranger in a foreign land. And you're to be living a life in this reverent fear of God. If you know the truth of who God is, 
if you know the, the truth of the gospel, if you know that death looms for those without Christ, if you know that He is your only hope, then you will not be crippled by fear of people, but instead you will live empowered by the fear of God. A healthy way. Like Joyce, the motivating factor to keep pursuing her son because she knows he's alive. So living in reverent fear is the first way for us to, or kind of the big idea for um, fear for my life, is that we're to be living in a, a reverent fear. And so we're going to look at first, the first point, number one. If you can follow along on your outline, it'll be on the screen. Living in reverent fear does this. It rescues me from meaningless behavior. Living in reverent fear rescues me from meaningless behavior. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? I had ways I wanted to ask you that. I thought it would be funny, but I'm going to skip them and just talk about how I was going to do something, but not actually do it. Um, but what are you doing with your life? You know, what, what are the actions you're doing, and why are you doing what you're doing? To be clear, I'm not suggesting that any person, whether they're Christian or not, I'm not suggesting that any life is meaningless. That's not what's being said here, not what I'm communicating, not what Peter is saying. That wouldn't be truth. What I am stating and what Peter is saying is that much of the behavior in our lives, much of the behavior, the conduct in the lives of others is meaningless. Much of what we do is without meaning. It's valueless. It is worthless. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, this is what he says and where we get this point from. He says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. The empty way of life. He says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life. Re redeemed means rescued, which is point, the first word in that point. We are rescued from a meaningless behavior. An empty way, empty, empty means it's futile, it's vain, it's foolish, it's useless. And so what he's saying is that we inherit this from our ancestors. But don't worry, it's not just your parents that have given this to you, it's all of our parents. And in fact, parents, you pass this on to your kids. There's this emptiness, this natural bent that we have called sin that's in our heart, that we have this propensity to go that way. We are born as sinners, and it's passed on from generation to generation. But it takes a work of God's grace to change the heart of a sinner to a heart of love, a heart of service, a heart of sacrifice, to change our hearts from craving, listen to this, from craving all the world has to offer, and instead seeing that the best the world has to offer is still perishable. Why do you do what you do? Why do you pursue what you pursue? We are told right here that silver and gold are perishable. That so much of our time, so much of our striving, so much of our energy is used to pursue the best the world has to offer. Are you living to gain the perishable things of the world? If so, that is the epitome of meaningless behavior. You want a better zip code? You want a better job? You want to impress people in your circles at work or impress people in your personal life? 
those are meaningless behaviors if those are your goals. But living in reverent fear, there's a better option for you. Living in reverent fear of God puts all areas of life into perspective. Instead of things being our goal, those things become blessings from God. The new zip code is a reason to thank God. Thank you, Lord, for the new zip code. The new relationship. Thank you, Lord, for this new relationship. The new job. Thank you, Lord. The new favor, the new influence that God gives us. Thank you, Lord. You are blessing me, and I give you the glory for this. No longer are the, are the perishable things of the world what our soul craves, but instead we, we turn our behavior into meaningful behavior. Things that matter, things that last, things that endure. For example, now we, we love our neighbors and we bless them instead of trying to figure out how to get things from them. We pray for our enemies instead of wishing them harm. We become people of love. We become people of prayer. We become people of faith. We speak hope into our own lives, and we speak hope into the lives of others. We give sacrificially. We give freely. And when God blesses us, we praise Him. And check this out. When God, when God, when God blesses other people, we rejoice with them. We don't have time for jealousy. We rejoice when others rejoice. We bless others. So living in reverent fear rescues us from meaningless behavior, number one. Number two, living in reverent fear reveals the worth of my salvation. Reveals the worth of my salvation. In the previous verse, he talked about silver and gold, and he called them perishable things. And if someone came to you, I guarantee you, if someone came to you and said, you can have all the silver and gold you desire, you would be overjoyed as money would suddenly solve all of the financial issues you've ever had. I would have no issues dancing in front of all of you in joy if someone gave me all the silver and gold that I wanted, right? Is anybody, don't, don't raise your hand because I don't want you to lie in church, all right? But that would bless your life, wouldn't it? It would be amazing for someone to come in and just give you all the fine, you don't have to worry about any money anymore. Here's a debit card, you'll never run out. Use it for whenever, for whatever you want. But silver and gold are the measures. The reason it's so valuable to us is because they are the most valuable possessions in our world. It doesn't get better than that. They're precious metals on which our currency is based. And in gold, money, it means power. But in God's world, he calls them perishable. God says they won't last. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, we we talk about, it, it contrasts the silver and gold is perishable, and now we get to what we are redeemed with, the worth of our salvation. In verse 19, it reads this. So he says, you, you were, you're not redeemed with the silver and gold, but you are redeemed with this, with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. So God is contrasting, and he's saying instead of perishable things, instead of the most valuable things that you can think of on the earth, God has chosen to redeem you with something of true value and true worth, the precious blood of Christ, the valuable, worthy blood of Christ, without blemish, without defect. It is perfect. And by the way, I chose this. God, Christ was chosen before the creation of the world. This isn't something I thought up with because like, hmm, I didn't see that coming in the garden. I can't believe these guys failed and, and, and faltered. But he was chosen before the creation of the world. 
There was always God's plan. It was always his plan to exalt Christ as the Lord, as the sovereign. And in verse 20 it says, but it was revealed in these last times. And revealed means not that the plan became revealed as God made a new plan, but he was saying that it's revealed to you. Now you can see what God has done for you. God is opening up our eyes to show us his plan. And he says he did this. He showed us for your sake. He did it for you. He did it for you, and he did this because he loves us. If God chose to scoff at the treasures of the world to show us how serious he was about rescuing us from sin and death, and that's what he did. Guys, I didn't give you the salvation with perishable things like silver and gold. These little things, like the greatest thing you could think of. If that's what he's saying, then we need to examine the worth of what he's done for us. And I have two takeaways under this point that we can take away from the, the worth of our salvation. Number one, it, is, it was serious trouble we were in if God chose to give up his son's life. Sometimes we minimize the work of what God's, God's grace is. And we don't understand how serious of trouble we were in before God gave us salvation. Don't make light of the sacrifice of Jesus. I don't know that any of us in here would ever do that purposely. But when we don't recognize the worth of what God has done for us, then we make light of it without meaning to do that. We should never be underwhelmed at the cost Jesus paid to give us salvation because it cost him everything. We were dead in our sins, and because of his love for us, we were given life through his merciful actions. So if God scoffed at the perishable things like silver and gold and says, this isn't going to cover what needs to happen. But instead, this is such a dire situation, I'm going to send my most precious son. Then we should understand we were in serious trouble. The second thing for us to see is that the salvation that we have through Christ is the most valuable treasure that we can ever have. We were in serious trouble, and this is the most valuable thing that we can ever have. God's given us a new inheritance, and forget where you came from as far as your parents go, as far as inheriting sin and those things. Don't blame them. It's not their fault. It just happens. Actually, it is their fault, but they can't you know, be held accountable. Actually, they can. It is their fault. So you should call them tonight and tell them you're disappointed in them, and then look in the mirror and tell yourself you're disappointed in yourself as well because you're going to do the same thing. But here's the deal. That inheritance that we have from them is no longer what is ours. But through Christ, there's a new inheritance. Instead of inheriting sin and shame and death, God gives us an inheritance of forgiveness and freedom and life eternal. And there's nothing more precious, there's nothing more valuable, there's nothing of more significance than your salvation because there's nothing more precious in this life than Jesus. Nothing more precious in fact, the, the word worth there in that point is, is where we get the word worship from. We talk about worship. Worship is the, the root of that is worth, and it's ascribing worth to something. So when we worship God, we are saying, Jesus, this is what you are worth to me, that I raise my hands and I, I 
praise you as I sing, that I pray, that I reverently submit myself to your word, that I, I go out when it's cold, and I know there's a football game, but I don't care, God, I'm going to church because I need you, and you're worth more to me than anything a football game could ever give me. And if you don't spend time worshiping him in prayer and songs and, and, and reading his scripture, then you need a healthy dose of fear in your life. A healthy dose of reverent fear of God to remind you of how great of a gift you have in your salvation. You were on your way to death. You were on your way to condemnation. There was no hope for you. There's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. And in the darkest hour of your life, Jesus stepped in and he saved you. He rescued you through his death. So living in reverent fear reveals the worth of my salvation. And the third point is this. Living in reverent fear raises my expectations. It raises my expectations. What is it that you're focused on in your life? Last week, Pastor Larry talked about uh, riding a bike, and if you're looking down, you're not going to be able to ride it very well. You're going to crash. And so you, you're going to go where you're focused. In the same way, what you're expecting in your life, what you're believing for, a lot of the times is going to be what, exactly what you get. If you wake up expecting a bad day, guess what? You're probably going to have it. Absolutely, sometimes God breaks into those moments and we have a, a moment of grace and mercy that, that, that overwhelms our, our, uh, our stubbornness. But why would we want to have, you listening? Why would we want to have just those momentary lapses of God breaking into our stubbornness when we can walk with him in fullness all the time? What are you expecting? Living in reverent fear of God raises your expectations. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, this is where we get this from. It says, through Jesus, through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and what? Your hope are in God. First of all, it says he glorified Jesus, which is ascribing deity to him, that, that he raised him from the dead and glorified him, and he set him apart like no one will ever be set apart again as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And because of that, now that when we have faith in Christ, we know that our faith is ascribed to and connected to the one true God. And we also know that this hope, that when we have our hope in Jesus, that it's connected to the one true God. That we know for a fact that our hope is in him. Do you expect the worst on a daily basis? If so, then you need a healthy dose of reverent fear in your life. Instead, expect the God who gave you the most precious blood of his son, expect him to move in your life. If he's done that for you, then how much more does he want to bless you? Expect this Lord to meet your needs. Expect this Lord to exceed your wildest dreams. Expect him to use you. Because it's not about what you're born with. It's not about what talents you have. It's about what God can do through a heart that is reverently fearing him. Expect God to give you his favor. Expect him to give you grace. Expect him to flood you with mercy. Expect him to do it because you are living a life of worship a life of reverent fear. Expect more from God 
when you live a life of reverent fear. If you live a life by your own terms, then you're going to reap the fruit of your own hands, and it's not going to be nearly enough to satisfy you. In fact, it's going to eventually fail you, because whatever it is that you're doing on your own power, one day will perish. And if it doesn't perish in your lifetime, it will perish at your death. But if you live a life of faith and trust in God, a reverent fear, then you're going to see him move in your life in ways that will cause people to look at you strangely. There's something strange about you. There's something different. They'll ask questions like this, how can you deal with the stress that we go through? They'll ask you questions like this, what do you do to get these good breaks? What motivates you to do such a good job at work? I mean, you act like this matters. We're just setting appointments. We're just doing this. You're acting like you're working for, for somebody important, which you know as a Christian, you, everything you do is for the glory of God. They will ask questions like, why do you seem so peaceful right now? Don't you know what's going on in the world? Don't you know what's happening in our neighborhood? They'll ask questions like, what are you thinking by wanting to go to church on Sunday every week when it's cold outside and there's a football game on? Why are you doing that? Why do you want to go to a Bible study on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock here at the church or Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock at the Mayberries or Wednesday nights 6 p.m. at the McAvey's in Ridgewood? Why do you want to do that? They'll ask questions like, why do you give money to the church? You worked hard for the money. So hard for the money. And then you're going to ask, or you're going to respond to their questions, and you're going to say, I do this because God's given me life and he's given me hope through Jesus. You may not just lead out with that, but eventually you can get to that. You might can lead out with that. You know what? The reason I do those things is because God has given me hope, and he's done it through Jesus. And then you can ask them a question, and that question is this. Would you like to know more? Would you really like to know why I'm different? Jesus was not worried about what people thought about him. And I am ashamed to admit how many times I have not wanted people to know that I was a follower of Jesus. Because it puts us in some awkward situations. Especially when we walk up to a conversation and people are bashing Christians or they're mocking Christ. It puts us in awkward situations. And it is embarrassing how many times I've been ashamed of that. But when I looked at Jesus, I never saw him being one who was afraid of what people thought. He was on a mission of living a life of reverent fear to his father. And he taught us to do the same thing. And we'll look at Luke 12 to close tonight. In Luke chapter 12, verses 4, this is Jesus. And he said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. 
Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And then he says, do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And in a quick reading, you may not have noticed this, but if you looked at it, I bet you would. If you looked at it longer. He sat there and he told them, fear God. And in the last part he says, don't fear. Fear God, but don't fear. And so, is God got issues to work through? Is Jesus like, not understanding what he's saying? No, that's not, what he's, that's not what, what's happening here. What he's saying is that there's a reverent fear of God that is necessary for your life. Don't worry about what people can do to you to harm you here because God can harm you here and the hereafter. That's whom you should fear. That's who should cause you to tremble because with a word, he can cast you into hell. That is a terrifying thought. He doesn't even forget the birds of the air that he's created. He's so in tune with his creation. But the part where he says don't fear is that there's this transforming part of the gospel is that God wields all of this power that he can speak and condemn us to hell. That is whom we fear. He has all this power, but instead of using all of his power and condemning us to hell, all of his wrath and his anger, all of his condemnation of sin, all of the, the wrath that he was justified in feeling because he looked down on his creation and sin was ravaging his people. The good earth he had created, the good people he had created, instead of wielding it and, and destroying them, he struck down his own son until Jesus' precious blood was spilled on a cross for you and me. Jesus took our place. He was not ashamed of what people would say of him. He was focused on his mission. He stayed reverently fearful of God. He laid down his life and that salvation belongs to you, and you, and you, and you, all of you. And it also belongs to me. Fear for my life, a healthy fear, it causes me to live a life where I have meaningful behavior. I live a life full of worshiping God, and I expect the Lord to do great things for his glory, and also for my blessing. So tonight, I want to encourage you, tonight and for the rest of your days, to live the rest of your life in a reverent fear of God. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that tonight we are able to, to see clearly that you are majestic and holy and high and exalted and far above anything we can think or imagine and you are worthy of, of reverence and, and awe and fear. And so, Lord, I, I pray tonight that you would teach us how to live that way in each moment of our lives. 
Help us not to squander the opportunity we have to bring glory to you. Help us not to, to squander the opportunity we have to, to worship you. We thank you for the salvation you've given to us through Christ. And, and Lord, I ask that you would um, move mightily in our hearts to make us a people of God who are unashamed of you and who are willing to risk everything we have to make your name known above all names. In Jesus' name, amen.